Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwink is producing from the Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut. Sarah Abbott is in the Sarah Studios in Bristol, Connecticut. And I'm Buster Only in Lake George in upstate New York, where last night I watched the second game of the Yankees and Mets series. And typically... Aaron Judge is right in the middle of the action. That one's driven deep to left field. There's a flight. See ya. A long home run for Judge. one nothing Yankees. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network, a monster home run. I think it was guesstimated at 453 feet in terms of how long it went. Number 48 on this season for Aaron Judge. Later in the game, after the Mets had tied the score, the Yankees had taken a 3-2 lead. Judge was at the plate again. 2-1. Line drive. It's a base hit to left center field. Trevino scores easily. Benintendi goes to third. It's an RBI single for Judge. And the Yankees lead 4-2. And they would hold on and win 4-2. So they won the first two. They won the first, uh, these two games in this series. And for the Yankees, this is well-timed. There's no question about that. Uh, the Mets, on the other hand, are trying to hold off the Atlanta Braves, who are playing a gimme series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. On Tuesday night, Vaughn Grisham got a big hit again. 3-1 pitch. Whistling line drive through the left side and a base hit. Contreras will score. Harris to third base. Braves have the lead as Vaughn Grisham comes through again. Braves on top 2-1 to here in the top of the fifth inning. Yeah, my son, the Braves fan, asked me last night if the Braves have the number one, number two, number three contenders for National League Rookie of the Year because those guys are all killing it. Vaughn Grissom has added so much. That sound from 680, the fan. Robbie Grossman picked up at the trade deadline, also pitched in. Two on Braves here in the fifth, offering on the way to Robbie. That's a shot down the right field line in for a base hit. That'll tack on another run. RBI single for Robbie Grossman, 3-1 Atlanta. And the Braves win the game 6-1, to and yesterday they picked up a game on the Mets in the National League East. The Phillies continue to hang around. Here's what happened in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two and two to count. Maton waiting. Diaz kicks the pitch. Swung on, pulled through the hole, a base hit, game over. Phillies win it with two in the bottom of the ninth. Nick Maton has won it. It's a walk-off single, 7-6. The Phillies win it. Scott Fransky, Sports Radio 94 WIP with that call. And there is help on the way. Bryce Harper started his minor league rehabilitation assignment. He looks pretty good. Digs back into the left-handed batter's box, the 2-2. Swing and a fly ball in the air, out to right field. Dickerson turns. He'll just watch this one fly. Bryce Harper in his first at-bat as he begins his rehab back to Philadelphia. Hits a solo home run off the poles in right center field. He would hit another homer later in the game. You kind of wonder if the Phillies watched that last night. Said, you know what? Just get him into the big leagues. Bring him up right now. Astros played the Twins last night. And Carlos Correa returning to Minute Maid for the first time since he signed with the Minnesota Twins. Everyone was kind of wondering how he would be received. We'll give a listen. An ovation for Carlos Correa. As he comes to the plate at Minute Maid Park for the first time in a uniform other than an Astros uniform, Correa playing against his original team for the first time. As Correa now 
takes off his helmet and acknowledges the crowd. That sound from KBME 790 AM. But the night would belong to Justin Verlander and the Astros. Here was Verlander in the sixth inning. The 3-2 to Cave. Swing and a miss. High fastball gets Cave. Ten punch outs for Verlander. His third double-digit strikeout game this year. One away. Yeah, and he would throw six no-hit innings. And guess who broke up the no-hitter? And there's left center field. The ball hanging in the air. And it's the first Twins hit. Correa is aboard. And that'll get the tying run to the plate. Dick Bremer with that call on the Twins television network. The Astros win this game 4-2. Justin Verlander now at age 39 is 16-3. With a 1870 RA, in my mind, clearly the front runner for American League Cy Young Award. On Tuesday, Fernando Tatis Jr. met with reporters for the first time since he was suspended for 80 games for PD use. Here was his opening statement. Really sorry. For my mistake. Um, I've seen how my dream my dreams have turned into my worst nightmares. A couple days. Of a month. But there's no other, other one to blame than myself. I haven't made the right decisions on this past weeks, month, even starting at the beginning of the year. I have made a mistake and I regret every single step I have taken in these days. So one of the reporters who was in that group that he spoke with last night was Alden Gonzalez. We're going to be talking with him coming up here in a few minutes. The Padres faced the Guardians last night. Juan Soto was not in the lineup. More on that in a moment. But it was 0-0, and Oscar Gonzalez gave the Guardians a lead. The pitch, Gonzalez swings, ropes one deep left field. Gone! A line drive homer about two rows into the left field seating section. And Oscar Gonzalez has his fourth home run of the year. And Cleveland would win this game 3-1. to one. That was Tom Hamilton on WTAM. Cleveland leads the American League Central by three games now. The Padres' offense continues to struggle. And there's some uncertainty now about Soto. He told reporters his back flared up on him uh, before the game. Uh, Bob Melvin, Padres' manager, told reporters that he probably will not play in today's game. Taylor, what else you got? A couple things, Buster. First, Fantasy Focus Football is firing on all cylinders with new episodes five days a week, new retooled lineup with my friend Daniel Dopp, as well as Field Yates, Stefania Bell, and Mike Clay. They're providing you all the information you need for your fantasy football team and draft this season. Expert analysis, debates, and news and notes each weekday on Fantasy Football fantasy focus football you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts and don't miss hulu's legacy the true story of the la lakers featuring never before seen archival footage of kobe bryant and 120 new revealing interviews with players like Shaq, magic and kareem watch the 10-part documentary series chronicling the team's extraordinary story from the inside streaming now on hulu vivid seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, 
surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Alan Gonzalez covers baseball for ESPN. And Alan, I was so glad that we had you scheduled to be on the podcast today because you uh, can address the two biggest issues in baseball that evolved on, on Tuesday. One, Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, held a press conference, you know. The other big news coming out of Anaheim, where the Angels announced that Artie Moreno, their 20-year owner, is going to take offers for the team. Uh, and I must say, when that news broke yesterday, there was a lot of relief around the sport at the possibility that uh, that franchise will change hands. What was your reaction when you heard about Artie selling the team? Well, mine was first and foremost shock. Uh, I think I heard that from a lot of people, even people who have close ties to the Angels, just because knowing Artie Moreno and his personality, a lot of the perception was that he was always going to dig his heels in and he was never going to give up that franchise and it didn't matter what was happening, what was surrounding it. I, I think, Buster, that it got to a point where owning the Angels just wasn't fun anymore and it wasn't going to be beneficial anymore. I think Artie's always been someone who wants to be revered, wants to be liked, and he is not a popular owner um, in Southern California right now. He was booed recently when he went, went onto the field. This is a team who hasn't been winning, and you, you pointed this out in your column, which was great um, a, a great sort of summation of what's been happening there. He's been catching a lot of criticism from fans, but from people throughout the industry for being somebody who, number one, refuses to exceed the luxury tax threshold, two, who meddles in baseball operations decisions, which has backfired with Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton and a bunch of other smaller ones that people don't even know about. Um, and also just, I, I think this has been the, the target of more, the most pointed criticism from other executives that he doesn't invest enough in resources, um, in the small things that make organizations function better in player development. Um, and you know, that you see that show up in the angels not being able to develop their own players. So shock was number one. And I think going back to your point, um, I heard a lot of excitement from people about yep. what this could mean because, and, and look, you got to give Artie credit for this. He got the angels payroll up to levels where they became a big market franchise. They were never that before he assumed their ownership. 
But I think they believe that they need somebody else who could inject new life into this franchise, invest more money, and finally put the pieces and the infrastructure around somebody like Mike Trout, potentially Shohei Otani, so they can actually do some sustainable winning again. Yeah, baseball was better off when the Dodgers were sold by Frank McCourt uh, to the Guggenheim Group, uh, as I wrote in the column. You know, the sport, generally speaking, was better when the Dodgers are great. The sport is in a better place now that the Mets are a superpower, that they're acting like a superpower, that the Wilpons sold the team to Steve Cohen. Because you want the the full might uh, of the sport if you work within it, if you're another owner. Uh, and that happened. that's happening now with the Mets. And I think there's a chance it's going to happen with the Angels going forward. Because as one official was saying to me last night, like the Angels, like that that ballpark, that, uh, you know, that's not the ballpark per se, but that market, that's like the perfect place for players to land because <laughs> it's, you know, it, it uh, you potentially have a big market. It's in Southern California. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, you can have a place by the beach as Mike Trout does. People don't really bother you. It, it's not as much of a hassle getting in and out of the park as it is, say, for Dodger Stadium. It's a great life, and it should be a place that, a, a place that the people want to go. And in recent years, it's just it's been toxic around that team. There's no doubt about it. And what I wrote in my column was that already in the way that he ran that team, it was like, you know, he collected this truckload of paper punch holes <laughs> and dumped them into the front office and sort of walked through like, why is this place a mess? What are you doing? Because he would inject himself, uh, injected himself in the signing of Albert Pujols and Anthony Rendon and Justin Upton. Um, it, he got involved and he spent a lot of money and then he wondered why the front office couldn't structure, couldn't put together a really good team. And I don't know if you agree with me. One of the, in this regard, uh, the fact that he would constantly go hot and cold on employees, whether it was Mike Socia or Billy Epler or, you know, recently Joe Madden, that's not an effective way to run a team. He needs to, you know, the next owner needs to, to run a more linear chain of command. Yeah, and I think the vibe that I was always getting, and I've been around that team for about like 10 years since I've been in this market, is that a lot of the high-level employees that would go in there didn't necessarily feel empowered to do what they did because it was always Artie Moreno sort of lingering. His presence was, so to speak, ever-present. And you're absolutely right that it's such a great destination, Um, Hitters love that ballpark. They love the batter's eye in center field. That's just a small thing, but like they love the environment. And then especially in recent years, players would get there and they'd be all excited about everything that that could be. And they come away thinking that, wow, this was not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought it was going to be. And it always seemed as if there was something missing. There was a vibe there that didn't just didn't feel right just from talking to a lot of people. And I think a lot of that probably came from the top, to be quite honest. He's a very passionate person. He wants to win badly. Um, But I think that came to his own detriment sometimes because he thrust himself in things when maybe he shouldn't. And I I think you're right that this this might change the course of that franchise. It's just there's so many lingering questions now because, number one, you know, these sales, they take a while. They take several months. And I wonder about what that's going to mean for particularly somebody like Shohei Otani and what's going to happen this offseason. And I do wonder about Mike Trout. 
everything I hear from everybody is that who knows Mike Trout says he's never going to want to be traded. He's never getting out of that deal. He's going to stay there forever. It doesn't matter. I do wonder if he gets to a point where it's like, look, this is not what I signed up for. There's too much uncertainty. If we're going to go through a rebuild, I don't want to be part of this. I wonder when he gets to that point, too. Yeah, and by the way, no one should feel sorry for Artie Moreno. He bought the team for $184 million. He's probably going to sell it for $2.5 billion, <laughs> which you know, makes you wonder why he was such a hawk in the labor deals because he certainly – his business was pretty good uh, in terms of uh, you know, the, the revenue that he was generating with the, the profit he's going to walk away from. Uh, you mentioned Shohei Otani. I think there's an easy play for the in- incoming owner whenever that person is identified I think he could just go to Otani with a blank check and say, okay, what's it going to take? Yes. I mean, you talk about being a hero with your fan base coming in right away, kind of like Cohen was with the Mets. I think so. Um, I think so. I, the question that I keep wondering, and it's a question that I got asked by other people throughout the industry yesterday was, is Shoy Otani going to be there when the old, new owner comes in? Because if this thing extends through the off season, right, which it might, and, you know, given recent history, it will, um, Perry Manassian is going to have to make a decision here. I don't think it's not unlike what um, what Rizzo went through with the Nationals with Juan yep. Soto, where he wanted he needed to get something done before new ownership came in. I will say something on the other side of that is what makes Shohei Otani unique from basically any other player is just the tangible revenue that he brings in, just because of his marketability in Japan, and those are real actualized dollars that the, that would be coming out the door. When he leaves, I don't know exactly what that figure is, but it's tens and hundreds of millions of dollars that Shohei Otani generates for the Angels because he's so marketable in Japan. Once he's gone, that is not actualized for a franchise. And I wonder what that means for just the overall value. Um, I've been wondering, I've been asked, this has been thrown at me from other people. Shohei Otani is still relatively young. He would be a relatively young free agent. And I wonder if the move there for the Angels, for a new owner, given the amount of money that they're paying Mike Trout long-term, what they're paying Anthony Rendon long-term, if it's one of these really creative, short-term, super high AAV deals, maybe if they get the AAV high enough for a three- or four-year contract that pays him far beyond what the highest-paid player is right now, I wonder if something like that could make sense, maybe get him a chance to go back into free agency when he's 30, given just the uncertainty of how sustainable being a two-way phenom like this is. I wonder if maybe that's a more realistic pursuit for the Angels. Yeah, I think if you're, I yeah, if I if I were to give a recommendation for the the incoming owner, it would be just just get it done. Whatever it is, get it done. The value not only of Otani as a player, but the value of the publicity for your franchise. If you lock that guy up, that's going to be a tremendous signal to your fan base how serious you are. And it's going to differentiate you from previous ownership and demonstrate a willingness to go beyond the luxury tax threshold, uh, because that's how you're going to build a team. You can you can have a top heavy roster with your payroll if you have a you know a Trout and a Rendon and an Otani if you are able to spend enough to build a team around them. All right, I've got three more things uh, for you before you go. Uh, we got three minutes, so we're going to go through this rapid fire. <laughs> Fernando Tatis Jr., we heard his apology a little while ago. You were there. I thought the biggest news was him basically indicating he's getting his shoulder fixed, which he should have had done last year. Yeah, and I think that's part of him sort of making amends with the organization. I don't think this was as big a deal as the other stuff, 
But the Padres thought he was going to have shoulder surgery after 2021. He didn't have it. And then he said this yesterday that he was navigating through his rehab, going through his rehab assignment, and he didn't feel right. The shoulder didn't feel right. And he probably should have had it last offseason. Now he's going to. And, you know, he, this is now him like, okay, basically saying, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to fall in line and because he has to because he's got a lot of ground to make up. And I think you'll agree with me that the frustration, the trust with him was really high in recent months. The feeling like, hey, this guy's out of line for someone we just gave $340 million to. Yeah, and I think that was felt a lot in that clubhouse. And it's why a lot of players before this and after this talked about how just how important a step it was for him to go in there. And I think a lot of them acknowledged how difficult that is for someone, especially somebody 23 years old. It was a players only meeting. He met with them for like 20 minutes. The The phrase that everybody kept using was that there was a lot of tough love. I'm sure there were a lot of really hard questions that were asked. Um, I know Jerickson Profar is somebody who's really had Fernando Tatis' back. He's the one who's sort of been pushing him to do this, who had his back more than anybody else in that room. Um, and I think what he did yesterday, meeting with them, I think that made up some ground there. And they're saying that they believe his story, but most of all, they appreciate that he met with them face-to-face and he basically apologized. And I think the big thing too, Buster, is he asked him for help. He asked him for help basically in the uphill climb that Tatis is going to have, restoring his image within the organization, in that city, but just all over the world because of what happened. 30 seconds. Who's your current MVP in the American League? Is it Aaron Judge? Is it Shohei Otani? I still think it's Aaron Judge, um, what he's done, what he's meant for that team. I think it's going to be close. It's really hard to ever compete with a two-way player, um, but my money right now would be on Aaron Judge. I agree with you. And Justin Verlander wins again last night, 16-3, and 187 ERA, 242 career wins now. <laughs> Is he your American League Cy Young Award at this point? He has to. I can't believe I'm even saying this, that a guy his age coming off Tommy John surgery is going to win – the Cy Young Award, um, to me, yes, he's been—he's not carrying that Astros starting rotation because it's really talented, but I think he's the best pitcher in the American League right now. Dylan Cease has been great. Right now, I give the award to Justin Verlander. Yep. Well, I knew you would nail the deadline. Way to go. Uh, great job last night with uh, the press conference and, and following up on it. The piece that you wrote is on ESPN.com. Alden, thanks for doing this. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
Fernando Tatis Jr. took questions from reporters in his press gathering availability on Tuesday. Here was his apology. I'm really sorry. Uh, I have let so many people down. I have lost so much love from people. And I failed. Uh, I failed for swallowing. I fell to the front office of the San Diego Padres, and Peter Sizer, H.J. Paylor. I have fell to every fan of this city. I have fell to my country. I have fell to my family, parents. He talked about how everything he aspired for is crumbling around him. I've seen how my dream, my dreams, have turned into my worst nightmares. A couple days. But there's no other one to play than myself. I haven't made the right decisions on this past two weeks, month, even starting at the beginning of the year. I have made a mistake and I regret every single step that I have taken in these days. He was asked about how he would get people to believe in him again. I have a lot of work to do. It's gonna be a very long process to gain everybody's trust again, to gain that love back that I have stabbed straight, straight to the heart to every fan, to every baseball fan. And I'm, I'm learning, I'm maturing. I've been dealing with a lot, but still, there has been no excuse for every mistake that I've made. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all around America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. And Todd, that feels especially true when we're talking about a time when they're playing the Little League World Series. And you got kids from everywhere. And I'm not that, uh, you know, you're doing the team logo for, you know, the club from Italy, but uh, I think you'll appreciate all of the colors and the pageantry of the Little League World Series. Yeah, totally, Buster. I mean, I live in a world where everything is branded and everything is planned. And uh, it seems rather callous and, you know, licensed to the, to the, to the nines. But there's something wonderful and spontaneous about the whole Little League World Series, and that extends to the look of it and kind of a uh, a chaotic look on the field at times, which is really pretty cool to me. Yep, no, no doubt about it. All right, let's get to this week's Phantom Franchise. All right, here we go. So, Buster, we have previously discussed the very sad plight of the St. Louis Browns, a team that moved from Milwaukee to St. Louis in 1902. A half century later, the two cities' roles in that shift were very nearly reversed. Bill Veck purchased the struggling Browns in 1951. Perpetual also rands. The Browns shared both St. Louis and their ballpark, Sportsman's Park, with the National League Cardinals. Veck immediately made waves, bringing three foot seven Eddie Goodell up to bat in a game against the Tigers, and later hiring Redbirds legend Roger Hornsby to manage his club. 
Satchel Page joined the Browns, and Cardinals' favorite Marty Marion was brought aboard as a player coach. Vec ordered the ballpark to be decorated with Brownies memorabilia. Vec was very well aware of the fact that St. Louis couldn't support two teams, and he made aggressive moves to ensure that the Browns would be the sole survivors. St. Louis Cardinals owner Fred Sy, meanwhile, countered by placing ads in St. Louis newspapers, selling the Cardinals as, quote, a dignified St. Louis institution. <laughs> <laughs> as the battle for the hearts and minds of St. Louis fans played out, Sy was indicted by the federal government for tax evasion, and he wound up <laughs> selling the club to Anheuser-Busch, an organization with extraordinarily deep pockets, both then and now, thus forcing Vec and the Brownies to look elsewhere. Vec was familiar with Milwaukee, having owned the minor league Brewers some 10 years before. Milwaukee had a brand new ballpark to offer to, and Vec was ready to make his move, but the Milwaukee territory was owned by the Boston Braves, who are also having problems. In short, eyeing a potential move of their own, the Braves refused to make a deal to release their territory, while at the same time, Vec was locked into a dispute over broadcast rights with his fellow American League owners who decided to join forces against him. The Braves got Milwaukee. The Browns had a hunker down in St. Louis for the 1953 season, which would be their final one there. The Brownies floundered. Vec sold Sportsman's Park to Anheuser-Busch for $1.1 million, and he soon turned his attention to Baltimore. AL owners denied his efforts to move the team, and he was forced to sell sell to a group of Baltimore investors who moved the team there and renamed them the Baltimore Orioles. But today, Buster, we ponder the possibility of the Milwaukee Browns, and they are this week's phantom franchise. Yeah, so I'm glad that you mentioned Eddie Goodell there because I, I want to run this past you and see if you've ever sort of played this out in the way I have mentally, and I'm, I'm weird. So I, you know, I might be the only one in the world. I'm weird this. too, Buster, so go at it. Okay, so the the Browns, you know, insert Eddie Goodell as a pinch hitter. Uh, as you know, he was part of another promotion. He, like, jumped out of a flying saucer, quote-unquote, I think uh, earlier that day. But they sent him up three foot seven. The pitcher was Bob Kane. The catcher dropped down on his knees trying to set a low enough strike zone for Kane to, to throw to, and Goodell drew a walk. So here's the weird part of my brain. My question is, if I'm a team – if I'm a, you know, a general manager in this very ana- analytically driven world, why wouldn't you want a player who has the ability to draw a walk basically any time that you threw him out there? You know, and I've off I kind of wondered if at some point one of these teams would say, hey, you know what? And one of our, especially when we get to September rosters, we don't mind carrying a guy who's got a strike zone the size of a postage stamp and we'll stick him in to lead off as a pinch hitter, to lead off the ninth inning when we're down a run, to try to score. Well, have you ever played that out in that way in your mind? Because I have. I wonder why some team hasn't done that. You put a very important qualifier out there, Buster, and that was an expanded September roster. And I couldn't help but think, as you were talking about Herb Washington, the designated yes. runner, pinch runner, for the Oakland A's championship clubs in the mid-'70s. And the fact was that uh, that guy could run, but he couldn't do much else. Spectacular, spectacular speed. And we want roster versatility. And having a three foot seven pinch hitter who could draw walks doesn't offer a lot of a lot of versatility. Okay, but you know what? I'm signing him uh, to my organization sometime. I'm signing a 
you know, a three foot seven player, three foot six player, and I'm signing him into my organization and putting him on the major league roster sometime on August 31st before the September rosters and, and making sure in some form or fashion that he's eligible for the postseason roster. I want that guy on my roster in October. Like that, that is, uh, you know, in terms of a weapon off the bench, that would be an interesting one. I've actually been a little bit surprised that no team has tried that. Are you, are you buying or no? Uh, I'm, you know, we, we, it's the whole thing is mitigated by the fact that this was a Bill Vex stunt for the ages. Matter <laughs> of fact, he allegedly said to Eddie Goodell, if you swing at a pitch, I've got snipers up on the roof who are ready to pick you off. So don't, <laughs> don't even think about swinging. So the, uh, the, the promotional nature of the whole thing, you know, has my head spinning. It wasn't a serious thing to begin with. So making the leap to this being a potentially serious thing, I, I can't wrap my head around it, Buster. Well, Jose Altuve, Tim Kirchin agree with me. I, and I haven't asked them the question, but I think both those guys would approve of having that. <laughs> Taylor, what if, if you saw the Orioles sign a three foot seven player going into the postseason, how would you feel about that? You know, I would think that there's some sort of secret plan involved, and I'm all in. Yes. Let's get weird in the postseason. <laughs> <All right. laughs> let's uh, let's uh, t- get to this week's uh, quiz, Todd. All right, here we go. The standings, just to recap, are as follows. We've got Buster leading the way with nine, Sarah with six, Taylor with four. So things are tightening up a bit, but it's getting late. And here we go. Week number 22 of our quiz. This sitting U.S. president attended two Major League Baseball games in two ballparks in one city in a single day. Was it A, George W. Bush, B, Richard Nixon, C, Harry S. Truman, or D, William Howard Taft? As president, he attended two MLB games in two different ballparks in one city in a single day. George W. Bush, Nixon, Truman, or Taft? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I have my theories on it. I'm going to let the others go. Sarah is the hottest one. Uh, you know, she's streaking toward the, the top of the standings here. Sarah, I'm going to let you go first. I think I'm going George W. Bush. Okay. Uh, Taylor? Uh, I'll go out of the box. I'll go Taft. Boy, uh, and I'm thinking about it, like the idea of Richard Nixon being bothered to go in two different ballparks in the same way, I- I'm absolutely <laughs> ruling him out. I'm like, there's no way that he would be that guy. George W. Bush, we talked uh, on the podcast earlier this week with Tim Kirkjian about his passion for baseball, but ah, boy, that would be, if he were to do it, it would be after 9-11. I don't think the politics of it would would necessarily fly. Uh, I'm with Taylor on this one. I'm going to go William Howard Taft going to two ballparks in New York. Uh, You are both correct. Uh, It was William Howard Taft, May 4th, 1910. However, it was the St. Louis Cardinals versus the Reds and the St. Louis Browns versus Cleveland in St. Louis, May 4th, 1910. Well done, gentlemen. Uh, And Sarah, your, your usual, like, you know, one for four. You got a 25% chance. Didn't work out this time. Yeah. You know, bummer. It is what it is. Well, (laughs) and you understand probably tap because he, he knew that the, uh, the Cardinals were a dignified St. Louis institution. (laughs) That's why he made the choice that he did that day. Unquestionably. Todd, just before you go, you're getting a tooth pulled. What's that about? Oh, Buster. I am one of these people. I never had to have my wisdom teeth pulled when I was 18 Mm. or 19 or whatever. And here I am in my dotage 
and uh, I have to have one of them taken out tomorrow. So uh, I'll get a little injection of Novocaine and uh, I'll have to eat Jello or rice or something very soft for a few days. But, you know, think about me uh, with, with a guy with a pair of pliers yanking this thing out of my head. Not looking forward to it. Okay, I'm thinking about you for a couple of reasons. One, you're my friend, and I don't want you to have discomfort. And two, I'm thinking selfishly because I didn't have my wisdom teeth removed either. I thought it was a, didn't think that was a thing. I thought once you didn't have them taken out, then you're good for life. That's not true? No. So I have never had a root canal, you know, had my share of fillings because we ate a lot of sugar back in the 70s. You remember that. Maybe not on the farm, but I certainly did growing up where I did. But anyway, uh, because things are so crowded, there's a lot of detail for people who are here for uh, ESPN baseball tonight, by the way. Uh, Anyway, uh, some, you know, some impaction has happened back there because it's all crowded in. You can't get to it. So they need to go in and yank the damn thing out. So Think of me, um, you know, I'll, I'll be, uh, like I said, eating rice pudding for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you're scaring me a little bit. No cavities for me, by the way. I'm, I'm, uh, we, didn't, wow. right, we, we did not have sugar on the farm. My mom was a stickler. When I got baseball cards, she made me throw out the gum. She wouldn't let wow. me do the, the, uh, the baseball card gum. Buster, so. you are like clear, the, the man of clean living, and it's all in the DNA, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that in college and that bush that I fell asleep under or anything like that. All right. I know those stories. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Kyle Benning is up first at Kyle underscore Benning. He writes in, who finishes their career with more strikeouts, Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer? I'm going to go with Verlander. Like, I think that he's going to be around a while. Uh, you know, I tweeted out this morning, Taylor, that that win last night was his 242nd of his career. Ooh. I think he's got a legitimate chance for 300 and just haven't gotten to know him a little bit through the years. I think he's going to be driven to continue pitching, whereas I feel like with Max, if Max has a bit of a downturn, like his stuff isn't the same, uh, and he's in the first year of a three-year deal with the Mets, but at the end of that, I could see him going home and just being a dad. What about you? I didn't really suspect you would say that Verlander's got a shot at 300. So I'll defer to you. I mean, if he if you think he's going to go for it, that would be very exciting. Yep. He'll be the last guy to do it. All right. Let's go to Billy Flan again at Billy Flan. He writes in Adolis Garcia became the first player of the season to have 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. He's currently on a 20 plus game hitting streak. Do you think this is a nice note on a season or an impressive accomplishment? Go Rangers. Yeah, I don't think 2020 is like something that uh, you you stop traffic for, uh, <laughs> you, you know, in, in 2022. But it's a good accomplishment. And what you like about Garcia this year, you know, he's playing on a team that wasn't very good last year. He's playing on a team not very good this year. But you know what? He's progressing. And you feel like that he's going to be a guy who's going to be a factor for a lot of years to come. Wake me up when it's 30 and 30, Billy. Uh, okay. Justin. Right, Simmons. exactly. Yeah. Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim one writes and hey Buster the Astros have the best record in the AL yet no one talks much about their starting pitching pitchers not named Verlander Javier's ERA is sub three Valdez leads Major League Baseball in quality starts and Urquidy is solid as well why don't they get more love uh, probably because they're not uh, in, in uh, you know really hot market or a really hot division you know we wind up talking a lot about the Yankees the Red Sox the Blue Jays. Uh, the Dodgers even, you know, in the in the National League West, the Padres with what they do. 
But the Astros have been the class of the American League West for so long, it feels like we take them for granted. Mm-hmm. Valdez was an all-star, right? Yeah. And Verlander's terrific. And so we sit here today, I don't think there's any doubt, in a short series, I'm picking them over the Yankees or just about any American League team. Absolutely. I I could, I could. might say they're the best team in baseball, honestly. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll say it for you, Justin. Uh, James Shanahan at Shanny STL is up next. He writes in, hey, Buster, the cards potentially play meaningful late season games versus the Padres, Dodgers, and Brewers. If you are the opposing manager and the game is on the line with Pujols at the plate, can you pitch around him given that he could be pursuing historic milestones? I think that if they are meaningful games, and for example, the Padres, the question of whether or not they're going to make the playoffs or not is on the line. Yeah, you you take the game situation. And if you feel like the matchup's not great, pulls against the lefties, yeah, you would pitch around them. I would say this, generally speaking, I got to believe that a lot of managers, a lot of pitchers, a lot of catchers would look at Pujols' bat speed and look at him as be, being potentially a guy that they would want to take advantage of. You know, he's a guy that you might feel like you have a chance to hit in a double play if you get him to hit the ball on the ground. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Brian at Bry Baker 23 He writes in, is it too early to call the Jordan Montgomery Harrison Bader trade the worst in baseball history? It's way too early. Come on, Brian. <laughs> I mean, Bader hasn't even appeared yet. And remember, I think the Yankees strategy on Bader was... Yeah, in the short term, we know he's not going to be available to us because he's got this plantar fasciitis, but we feel like he's going to make us better in October when the Yankees didn't project Jordan Montgomery to be part of their rotation. That said, uh, (laughs) I will tell you this, is that I've had conversations with people with other teams who've asked me the question, why did the Yankees trade Jordan Montgomery? Because I think that folks with other teams thought his ceiling is higher than maybe what the Yankees thought. I I will tell you that. That is fair. Uh, Bill Craig at Bill Craig MN writes in, Hey, Buster, when is someone going to invent batting gloves that don't have to be adjusted after every pitch? (laughs) Yeah, Bill, you and I both know uh, they've already been invented. This is just a way (laughs) for a hitter to uh, take some time to get his thought process in, to go through his regimen. I was thinking exactly that last night. It is so annoying to watch. Last one yep. for today, Jeff Childs at my Blue Heaven 42 writes in with the Padres so desperate to be like the Dodgers that they even had a top star get suspended. What happens before the end of 2024? Soto gets traded, Tatis Jr. traded, Preller fired, or they win the World Series. I say Juan Soto gets traded. Uh, mm. I, I think that, you know, I mean, part of the, the, I think the brilliance of the Padres move for Soto now is. They know with uh, you know him not being eligible for free agency for two and a half years that if at some point it benefits them to flip him out in the trade market, they will get significant return. It may not be what they gave up to get him, but it might be 60%, might be 70%, 80%. And I think at some point, if you don't have him signed, then that's uh, something you're going to consider. And maybe a way A.J. Preller saves his job, huh? Huh? if it comes to that. Hypothetical talk here. All right, that's enough. Bleach your tweets on Twitter. Uh, Start that with a hashtag. Thanks for writing in, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Alden, to Todd, to Sarah, to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.